so good to see you this morning. So good to be alive on Easter, isn't it? You know, I don't know how many Easter's you've had, but I've had 55, and, um, and I hope to have 56 and continue on. But you know what? If I don't, then I'm going to be in a better place. Amen? I'm going to be in a better place because I know who lives in my heart, and I know who lives in my life. And I know that many of you can say the same thing this morning. And so we have a lot to be thankful for on Easter, don't we? Amen. You know, Easter is one of the Christian, Christian's major observances and holidays. And so this is a very widely celebrated holiday throughout the world. And rightly so, it should be. Last week we spoke about Palm Sunday, and we spoke about the significance of what that, of what that day meant and the choice that it represented between really two kingdoms that was represented that day. And uh, today this is the culmination of that day. A week ago, and, and last year or last week, we spoke about really the pressures of the day and the great oppression and the opposition that the Jewish people lived under, and the extreme difficult situations they lived in, being taxed and being governed by the Roman government, and how difficult it was to be in a temple state as well as to be controlled by the Roman government because they were under the bondage of Rome, and they also had the temple uh, responsibilities of tithing and all of the other offerings and sacrifices that were given and it drove many of the people to poverty in that time and so they were re- living under some really difficult situations and then when we saw when they saw Jesus coming on the scene they saw this 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 very dynamic leader rising up amongst them a Jewish man that they saw to be the deliverer the king of kings and the lord of lords for Israel and they saw him to coming to bear to set up an earthly kingdom that day that was going to deliver them from the Roman bondage and deliver them from all the, the hard oppression that they were living under. And so Jesus, when he came into to Jerusalem that day in a donkey, they gathered around and they, sang, and, they, and they cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the name of the king, who come, the king of Israel. And so they said, Hosanna, meaning save us now, Jesus, save us now. And they were a little bit confused, maybe, in what Jesus' purpose was. His purpose clearly was to save the people. But he, he had a much bigger idea. He had a much bigger agenda in mind. It wasn't just to set the, Jeruz, the Jews in Jerusalem free that day. Yes, they were going to be set free. But it wasn't just to do that. It was really to set us free today. If he would have accepted their praise and accepted the position that they wanted to put him in as the king of kings and the lord of lords of Israel of the, of, and set up on an earthly throne, see, we would have lost out today because that would have been the extent of his kingdom. But because he did not fall to the temptation of the devil and of man to put him in a lower position, rather he focused, as he always does, on the eternal now we have hope and we have a resurrection Sunday that we can celebrate today. So that brings us now to the Easter story. That brings us to what we're doing, what we're celebrating today. Our text today is Isaiah chapter 53. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. 
Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils and the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Yeah, Lord, now we just pray that you would just be with us as we speak about this now, as we dig a little deeper into what the Word says about that day and for what it means for us today. God, I pray that you would open up our hearts, open up our minds. God, help me to speak the Word that you would have me to speak in truth and honesty and love, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know what's so significant about the fact that that was written in Isaiah, to the prophet Isaiah, that was 700 years before the cross ever took place? Do you recognize that? Do you recognize that that was prophesied to happen 700 plus years before it ever happened? And yet when you read it, it's almost like we just saw in the video, almost like it was an account of what happened by the very moment of the day. That's how accurate God prophesied that to Isaiah the prophet. God is foretelling through Isaiah what will happen well before it does. Now, you may ask, well, what's the significance of that? Why is that really important that we know that? Well, I believe it's very significant in the fact that it tells us that God is a planning God. God is very orchestrated. There is nothing that happens in God's mind that is an accident or happens by chance. He's a very organized, a very thought out, a very planning God. And we see that. And I think it's important that we see it that way because it might help us understand a little bit some of the questions that might come up in our minds about the death of Jesus. We read and we see in these movies the horrific pain and the suffering that Jesus bore that day. And we wonder, if you're like me, why so severe? Why did Jesus have to pay such a heavy penalty for my sin and your sin? Why was he crushed? Why was he beaten? Why was it so severe? That raises three very important questions in my mind that I want to talk to to you today about. And and the three questions I want to say, I want to talk about are, are really, who killed Jesus? And number two, did Jesus have a choice? And then the third and probably the most important question of the day is, what's our choice going to be in the matter today? 
So let's talk about these. Number one, who killed Jesus? Who killed him? Well, some of the most obvious culprits in his death are the Jews, the Romans, Satan, you, me. Did we kill him? And probably a case could be made for all of them or a combination of all of those people that we just described. You see, Jesus was the Son of God in a very very much a part of the Godhead. He was always with God. Even before the creation of the world, he was with God. Yet he became flesh, and he became a man so that he could associate with everything we do, yet he was perfect in everything he did. He had to understand what it was to walk in my footsteps and your footsteps. He had to, knew, he had to know what that was like, but yet he was perfect. He never sinned. He never failed. He never lied. He never disobeyed God, nor he never disappointed God. There was nothing in his life that was left undone. He was perfect in every, in every situation. In fact, Scripture tells us on a few occasions that God was pleased with Jesus. Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. God adored Jesus. He loved him. He was very pleased. He was very proud of what his son was doing on his time here on earth. He had a very good relationship with his son, and he was very pleased with Jesus. So back to Easter. Who killed Jesus? I think the obvious answer that most of us come up with is either the Roman soldiers or the Jews. I think that's the most obvious thing that we would think. And even though that, I know that man thinks that way, but like other spiritual concerns, mankind only sees what's obvious to them. We only see the physical. We only see the things that just are so obvious. We seldom realize what's happening in the spiritual realm. Rather, we see and focus on the physical realm, and then we will normalize it, or we will adjust it, into something that I can appreciate or I can understand or that I can accept. We will take the spiritual things, and if they're too hard for us to understand, if they're too hard for us to agree with, we will, in our man ways of thinking, we will normalize it and we will make it easier for us to accept it and understand it. If we only really knew how much God was working for us on our, for our behalf in the spiritual realm, it would change many things in our life. We just read in the account in Isaiah how God had revealed to his prophet 700 years ago what was going to happen. So I think we can look at the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus that day not as a chance, but as a plan fulfilled. There was a plan fulfilled that day. It wasn't just a, it wasn't just a, a group of men that decided to kill Jesus. In fact, it wasn't man's idea at all. See, as God typically does on earth, that he typically, whenever he does things, whenever he fulfills his plan, typically he uses men in that. Do you know that? Do you know that God has a plan for you today and he wants to use you to achieve his plan that he established before the creation of the world, but he wants to use you in the process of that? God accomplishes the things of, of, of his plan, of his heavenly plan, through men. 
So obviously we can look at that, and as we look at the spiritual realm that day, we can see that God the Father used man to fulfill his plan in the death of Jesus. So who killed Jesus? Now let me say some things here this morning. I don't want to offend anyone. So please hear my heart on this, okay? And listen to what the Lord may be speaking to you in the spiritual realm this morning. But my proposition, and I believe the word supports it, is that God killed Jesus. God killed his son. It wasn't man. It was God. Does that kind of set your theology back a little bit? Does that make you think a little bit more as to, wow, why would God kill his son? He was pleased with him. He wasn't angry at Jesus. This wasn't an anger killing. It was a mercy killing. For who? For us. For you and for me. Let's look back at the verses in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 and 5. It says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. And then verse 10, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. We read through these scriptures pretty fast most of the time and maybe don't listen to what's being said, but it was God's will to crush Jesus and to cause him grief. Now, I know that these seem like strange verses to us today. Why would God do that? Why would God punish Jesus? Why would he crush him? Why would he cause him to suffer? Couldn't God have accomplished the task without so much suffering? Yet we read in Isaiah that God was pleased to crush him. So why? Why would God crush his son? And why would he take apparent pleasure in doing so? Is he sadistic? Is God vindictive? Is God unsound? No. No. Of course not. So why take pleasure in crushing the only one that he sent, the only one who had ever lived a perfect life and performed the will of God 100% of the time? So why was it God's will to crush him and cause him to suffer? Well, before we can answer that question, I think we need to take a look at another area of Scripture that might help us with this. Genesis chapter 3. You can turn in your Bible or you can just look at the screen. Genesis chapter 3 beginning at verse 8 and through 10. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Now when I look at that scripture, and I look at what happened there, and I look at what happened on the cross... I got to ask myself the question, and let me ask you the question. I wonder what caused God more pain. The day that Adam and Eve hid from God? The day that they gave up their perfect relationship with God by taking sides with Satan? That they went to the other side? That they rejected God and they hid from God? Do you think that God, do you think that caused God any pain that day? 
How, how hurt do you think God was that day when he came down to fellowship with his creator, the creation, and they were hiding from him? Or do you think it caused more pain the day 4,000 years later when God crushed Jesus, who is the second or the last Adam, so that you and I might have that perfect relationship with God restored once again? You see, if I think if we take a look at Easter for what it really is, it is not a day of mourning. It is not a day of sorrow. In fact, I don't see anything in the Scripture that ever said that God was sorry for Jesus' death. I see God to be happy that he was fulfilled, that Jesus fulfilled the plan so that you and I could have relationship with him once again. I believe God was more hurt the day that Adam sinned than he was when Jesus died. Yeah, I know in our heart, I know in our mind's eye, I know humanly we want to give God all this sympathy for Jesus on the cross. We want to make God thinking, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. But I think God was more sorry when he saw Adam do what he did that many years ago, knowing that that would have to happen. God crushed Jesus. Let me ask the question. Who was really being crushed that day? Let's continue in Genesis chapter 3. Look at 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, which is Jesus. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So who was being crushed that day? Who was being crushed that day? And why was God so happy about it? Who was being crushed? The answer to that day, to the answer to that question that in Jesus' death, it wasn't just Jesus being crushed. It was all of fallen creation that day was crushed. Sin was crushed. Satan's power and authority was crushed. The power of death was crushed. The first creation and the effects of the fall were crushed. Oh, Jesus. And from God's perspective, the sin of all men was crushed that day. That's mine and it's yours. Can you thank him this morning? Can you thank him this morning and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. You know, it's no wonder that the drama of Jesus' last prayers occur in a garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. I read a commentary written by a man named Scott Grant that might help us understand this a little better. Let me, let me read this. It says, Then Jesus begins his ascent up the Mount of Olives. As he walks up the hill... Does hope rise within him? He comes to the place on the hill called Gethsemane, which in Hebrew means oil press. Likely an olive press was located on the site. As the press crushed and squeezed oil from the olives, it brought forth valuable oil, that but, valuable oil but crushed the fruit in the process. Like an olive in the jaws of a press, press, Jesus is on the verge of being crushed for the sins of humanity, bringing forth a much more valuable kind of oil. 
the oil of the Holy Spirit, which is to be given to all who believe in Christ. That is what pleased God the Father. The plan that he had laid before the foundation of the world was being implemented to bring about a new creation based on his life in mankind, and that brought him pleasure. God was pleased that day. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And then verse 21 of the same chapter, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God takes pleasure in this. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That was not a day of failure for God. That was not a day of sorrow for God. It was a day of victory because he crushed all that had come against him through up to that point in time. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, amen. God was bringing about the plan of salvation that he had to establish because of man's original bad choice. And the fact that it was coming together as planned brought joy to the heart of God. Yeah. You know, he loved you and I so much that he allowed that to happen. He loved us so much that he was joyful and he saw the bigger picture. And as God always sees things, he always sees the eternal much more important as the temporary. Not that God isn't concerned about your temporary life. Not that God isn't concerned about your well-being today. Not that God isn't concerned that you're healthy and healed and all that stuff, because he certainly is. But his focus is always on the eternal. So should ours, because what's going to last longer? Not a trick question. (laughs) What's going to last longer, the temporary or the eternal? The eternal. Amen. So Jesus was fulfilling the plan to restore the most cherished possession God has. And that's you and I this morning back into a relationship with him. And God was pleased with that. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. You know what? It changes my perspective of Easter when I know that God was in the plan. That it wasn't a mistake. It wasn't the world out of control. No, it was God's plan. And he had to do it. He had to do it. You know, it reminds me, too, of, of when you purify gold. There's a process of the purification process. You take raw gold out of the ground. It has to be purified. It has to be heated up. It has to be um, conditioned. And what happens as this gold heats up and melts, all the impurities rise to the top, and they're skimmed off. And then it's reheated again, and it's skimmed off. See, what happened that day on the cross, Jesus was crushed. He was the pure gold, but he was crushed. And all the impurities of sin that he held that day, because when he hung on that cross, he was impure in the sin that was upon him. And that was my sin and your sin, not his. But he was impure that day, and he had to be crushed and purified. And that was the process that happened on the cross when God crushed him. And the dross of sin and all the impurities of life 
had to be scraped off, and they died that day. And the pureness of God's life, eternal life, rose up that day in the life of Christ. And that's what we have today. We are pure as gold. Amen? You, if you have Jesus in your life, you are pure as gold, and you will rise with him on the day of your resurrection because God put Jesus through that penalty then. Yeah, it was hard, wasn't it? But it was worth it. It was worth it. So to answer the question, who killed Jesus? Who killed him? The answer is God did because it was required so that sinful man would have the opportunity for a relationship with a holy God forever and ever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Thank you, God, my Father, for that. I thank you, God, for your purpose in that. Second question that comes to mind is, did Jesus have a choice in the matter? Did he have a choice in the matter? I find it interesting that God in his infinite wisdom and in all his might has given so much away and that he's given the power of choice to his creation. Do you recognize how powerful choice is? Do you know that as, as powerful as God is, do you know that he is not more powerful than your choice? Why? Why is that? Everything that matters to God is manifest as a process of choice. Love cannot be expressed unless a choice to love or not to love is given to those that are in love. If you require someone to love you and force them to love you, then it's not really love. Love is only love when it's a choice to love. Obedience cannot be measured unless the power of choice is given to the person that is asked to obey. Giving cannot be accomplished unless the person that has the abundance makes the choice to share it. Nothing in life happens unless a choice is made. And yet so often there are those in the world and even in the Christian world that feel that our choices really aren't that important. That I can live any way I want to live and that God's love is going to supersede my choice. Well, can I tell you this morning, honestly, from God's word and the love of that, that that's not true? That God's love is not going to supersede your choice? That your choice in the matter is the absolute most important thing in the world to you? As much as God loves you, he cannot supersede your choice. He will love you to the day that you walk into hell, if that's your choice. He doesn't stop loving you. He doesn't stop loving you. But his love cannot supersede that if you choose to make that your path. Powerful. Powerful knowledge. Powerful truth. Yet, we don't look at it that way sometimes. Our politically correct society doesn't like to hear that. They just want to know that God is a loving God and God loves me and God would never send me to hell. You're right. God would not, but you choose to. Understand who's doing what here. Understand who has the power here. The power goes with the person that has the choice. God made the opportunity that day, but the choice is yours to make. Can you see the enemy's deception at work in this at all? Did Jesus have a choice in the matter? See, the only way 
that we would see the power of God's love through Jesus is if, is if Jesus had a choice. If Jesus had no choice in the matter, then we wouldn't see the power of God's love. Understand that. Very important. David Jeremiah tells us this about the power of choices and the power of choice of Jesus. Let me read this. Too many people read the story of Jesus' temptation by Satan as just another event without realizing it was a crisis situation. It was all about why Paul referred to Jesus as the last Adam in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As the last Adam, Jesus came to restore all that the first Adam had lost through sin. But in order to reverse Adam's failure, Jesus had to be tempted like the first Adam was. The last Adam had to obey God in the garden in order to reverse what the first Adam gave up in the garden. The kingdom of God was hanging in the balance. Fortunately, Jesus remained true to the Father and crushed the authority of Satan as he reestablished God's kingdom on earth and gave mankind a path to God's eternal kingdom in heaven. Every moment of temptation in our lives is a crisis moment. It's where your choice is tested. So this morning, I proclaim that Jesus Christ absolutely had a choice to make in this process. And it's only because he had a choice that we have eternal life available to us today. That choice was huge, by the way. That was enormous. It was bigger than what we will ever understand as we walk this earth. You see, it cost Jesus everything. It cost him everything, and he knew it. He knew it. Listen to how Luke describes the agony and the deep angst that Jesus went through in the process of making this most important choice ever made for all of mankind. Luke chapter 22, verses 41 through 44. He, Jesus, withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, his disciples. He knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. You know, we read that very quickly. But I think there was some time there between the colon, me, colon, yet. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. I think Jesus dwelt there a little bit. I think he spent some time there a little bit, saying, God, I'm listening. God, are you there? Father, Father, can you hear me? Finally, yet, not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, more earnestly, until his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. That's pressure, folks. That's angst. That's stress. When your sweat becomes like blood, you know, and that happens. Medically, it happens where the blood vessels get so close to the skin and there's so, so much pressure in the body that they burst and it can happen. Never happened to me. Ever happened to you? happened to Jesus that day. And you know what? Jesus was only doing what you and I would have been doing. He would have been looking for a way out. How many, have, how many times have we looked for a way out of our situations? How many times have we cried, God, get me out of this situation. Don't get me through it. Get me out of it. It's exactly what Jesus was saying. He was just like us. He was just like you and I. He, he knew what was going to happen to him that day. You know, and when the blood came, here's the amazing thing that I find so amazing. When the blood came in the form of sweat, if it was me, 
I would have said, Jesus, I would have said, God, here you go. Here's my blood. Now get me out of here. <laughs> that, should have, that would have been enough for me right there. When I would have saw blood on my brow, I would say, hey, God, look at blood. Blood, God, blood. But that wasn't it. See, that's the way we look at life because we put one foot in and one foot out of Christianity. See, but it required Jesus everything. That wasn't enough that he just bled. He had to give up his life. The very blood that gave him life had to be given up so that that day when he hung on the cross and they pierced his side with that sword and the blood gushed and rushed out of his body, see, it was all of Jesus, not just a part of him. That tells me that when I go before Jesus, I need to have all in for me too. If I'm going to be accepted by God the Father, that I can't say, God, look, a little bit of blood. A little bit. I was in a little bit, God. I was in halfway, God. He's going to say, Mike, you didn't get it. I needed all of you because my son gave all of him. Amen. Again, can we say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Thank you, Jesus, for going all in for me. Matthew chapter 26, verse 52 and 53. Jesus, still in the garden here, Peter had just taken his sword out of his, out of his holster or whatever the thing is, and he swiped at the guard, the temple guard, and he meant to cut his head off. It was a, not a very good aim. He just got the guy's ear. <laughs> and Jesus said, hey, put your sword back. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. And then here's the verse, the most important verse, 53. Do you think I cannot call on my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? You see, Jesus had the choice to bail out right then and there. Boom, over, done, gone, I'm out of here. These people aren't worth it, God. They're not worth it to me. He could have bailed out any time. He had all the resources of heaven. He could have pulled down all the power of heaven at that moment to destroy all of mankind and say, God, it's done, over with. Let's just get out of here. Don't think Jesus didn't have a choice in the matter. He absolutely did. Now, here's the other thing. There was no plan B. There was no plan B. If Jesus said, I'm not going through it, God, it's too hard for me, I'm not going through it. I, here's my blood. You've got enough of me. I'm, I'm done. There is no plan B. See, if Jesus would have bailed out that day, you and I today would be condemned for eternal punishment in hell. No choice. No question about it. There is no other way to the Father besides Jesus Christ. No other way besides the sacrifice that he gave for us on the cross that day. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. See, that puts me back again to the question I asked about Adam and Eve thousands of years ago. When they took up the sides with the devil and they believed the lies of the devil. Did you catch it in Isaiah 53 that he said there was no deceit found in Jesus? Jesus never deceived anyone. He never deceived anyone. And here is the father of lies called Satan and that's all he does is deceive. And yet here man took sides with the deceiver. You don't think that crushed God's heart? <laughs> you don't think that hurt God a little bit then? And let me ask you, you don't think it hurts him now? See, when Jesus died on the cross today, 
He provided the total sacrifice for each and every one of us to bridge that chasm that was created at that moment 6,000 years ago from now, back in Adam and Eve's day. When they separated themselves from God, there was a chasm, there was such a, 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 a huge crevice that was created between man and God that there's no way mankind could ever relate to God unless Jesus filled it with his blood. And that's exactly what happened that day. And God took pleasure. <laughs> he took pleasure. Jackie, would you come as we prepare to close this morning? Can you imagine today what was more hurtful and painful to, to, to Jesus than after what he did, my choice to reject him? That brings us to the third question. What is your choice today? What is my choice today? How do I take all of this information that I've just heard maybe and, and, and process it into my choice for how I live my life today? You see, I wonder if maybe for the first time for some of us that we really have a true understanding of what Easter is. See, Easter is not just about the Easter bunny and eggs, which I have no clue how they ever happened. How do you get eggs out of a bunny? Yeah, that's a question I don't know. I mean, if it was an Easter chicken, I could at least see where we get the eggs. But I don't get eggs out of a bunny. But to many of us, and unfortunately to the world around us, that may be the extent of what Easter is. We dress up, we look good, we go to church one or two days a year, Easter being one of them. I think that breaks the heart of God. I think that breaks his heart. I think what he realizes is that we, our choice are so significant here. See, your choice may not affect the world like Jesus has affected the world, but can I tell you the most important thing to you is your world? What your world is going to be for eternity is all dependent upon what you do with Jesus Christ. sorry that the urgency of that day the urgency of that day was so powerful see this morning guys the urgency of the day is powerful today we don't know what tomorrow brings we don't know I don't know what's going to be in your attack for tomorrow I don't know I don't know what's for me I don't know but I'll tell you what I'm not going to risk it as the man said at the very beginning of the video, when he first started the service today, that we're all here with a crapshoot. Do we really know? Do you really know? Close your eyes with me if you would, please. Oh, Jesus. Lord, I just want to let this time sink in. Lord, I just want to let this day sink in, God, and the urgency of this dower, God, to become personal. To become personal for every one of us sitting here this morning. This morning, as you're sitting in your chair, as you're sitting there, would you just, in your mind's eye, just block out everybody around you? There's nobody else around you right now besides you and Jesus. You and God the Father and the Holy Spirit that's speaking in your heart right now. What's he speaking to you? 
What's he saying to you? What's he whispering in your heart right now to you? The most important question any man can ever ask you right now and for all eternity is what are you doing with Jesus? You see, when, when your days come, when, when your day's over and you spend that moment and you go before God the Father, he's going to ask you, what did you do with my son? What did you do with my son? Did you reject him? As all eyes are closed this morning and all heads and hearts are bowed, this is a very serious time. This morning, if you're not sure what you've done with Jesus, if you want to make sure that Jesus is on your throne forever and ever and ever, if you want to make sure, would you raise your hand with me and just say, it's me, I need to know. If there's any question in your heart, I see their hands. Do not let this day go by. I see your hands. Do not let this day go by without the urgency of the hour being pressed into your heart this morning. You have no idea what tomorrow holds. You have no idea. Amen. I mean, I saw those hands. Now, more importantly, it's not I didn't see them. Jesus saw those hands. Now, this morning, this morning, if you really want to exercise that today we need to pray and we need to ask Jesus to come into our life and we need to repent of some things we need to change our way of living by the power of the Holy Spirit so would you pray with me everyone this morning if you would pray with me in the way you can and just say Jesus forgive me of my sins this morning I am sorry that I've done things that are displeasing to you, Jesus, and the last thing I want to do today is reject you. The last thing I want to do is to cause you more pain. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your grace. Forgive me of my sin and cleanse me and make me whole, make me new, make me a new creation. Romans 8, 11, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing this call. We're going to sing this song. And this morning, if you want to pray, if you want to make sure I'm at the altar, I'd love to pray with you this morning. If you raised your hand and you want to just, you want to just seal the deal, come forward. Be, be bold. Let's pray. Let's just make sure we give God all the praise and the glory on this. Let's sing this song this morning and just recognize who and what Jesus did for us on the cross that day.
Father, we thank you. You are so absolutely awesome, God, my Father, and I thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. Lord, now I ask this day, on this Easter day, God, for so many of us, maybe it's a new start, or maybe a continued revision of what what you achieved, what you want to achieve in our life. Go with us today, Father. Make this a special day in the hearts and lives of your children, of your people. You're alive, and we worship you, we praise you. Go with us now throughout this week and throughout this day, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Be blessed today. And I believe.